Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect, and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Some of this work can start out quite simple um, and starting to think about what are those those key metrics um, that you want to collect data against um, and also, you know, making sure it's communicated so that when people are making decisions, they're making decisions based on some kind of evidence um, rather than just intuition. Um, and, yeah, so, like, we see, we see a huge potential, but we do find that most organisations... Um, sort of feel that they should be doing more in this area but may not be sure really how to get started or what support's available. Those are the inspiring words of Sarah Barker. Sarah is Director of Data Intelligence at Our Community. The Our Community Group provides advice, connections, training and easy-to-use tech tools for people and organisations working to build stronger communities. Sarah has an amazing role at what is a really unique organisation that does so much to build not-for-profit capability through partnerships and innovation. This is sorely needed in community organisations and having a data scientist work with you to interpret your data sets can lead to significant outcomes. I experienced this firsthand having partnered with our community in my capacity as Head of Strategy at Task Force. We were able to embark on a data collaboration that helped us to measure and communicate our impact and improve our service quality. I have some exciting news to share with you prior to our usual Patreon thank you. I'm pleased to announce that I'll be partnering with Cooper Investors to produce a podcast mini-series on mental health and well-being. Producing a different sort of podcast has been on my agenda for some time, so this is an amazing opportunity to go deep and find some answers regarding our mental health system and to also share some of my own mental health journey along the way. Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered with our generous Patreon supporters enabling me to cover the majority of my monthly costs of production. As always, a big thank you goes out to our community, including Humanism, Clyde, Susie, Kynan, Deb, Sue Kay, Carmen, Misha, Jasmine, Sue P, Joel H, Levi, Jules, Sally, Will, B, Lyndon, Olivia, Joe, McCartan, Joel F, and Stuart. You can become a monthly Patreon supporter today for as little as the price of a single cup of coffee at $4. Of course, you can support us at whatever level you like. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Sarah as much as I did. So I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you uh, via teleconference Zoom, Sarah. Great to connect. Thanks, Mike. It's great to uh, contribute to this great pod- podcast. I often prefer to catch up with you for coffees and uh, in-person chats, as we've done over the years in a similar capacity, in a task force collaboration capacity. But um, it's great to have you here nonetheless during a, a tough time. I would love to hear, before we kick off, a bit about your journey um, into our community. Yeah, sure. So it's been... Oh, well, I, what I think is an interesting one. Um, I grew up in a country town um, and really didn't have much of an awareness of the types of careers that might suit me. Um, I was good at maths. Both my parents were maths teachers and that was the one thing I knew I didn't want to do was, was be a maths teacher. Um, so I ended up sort of going into the IT route um, and studying software engineering and commerce at Melbourne Uni. So I came down to the big smoke um, to go to uni. <laughs> Um, and then ended up sort of taking a fairly straightforward path into one of the big consulting firms. So started off uh, at Accenture for a couple of years. Um, and I ended up working on large-scale system replacements, so um, sort of billing systems, banking systems, that sort of thing. And really um, I love the problem-solving aspects of it 
But at the end of the day, I didn't really care about the outcome. Um, so I went back and studied a graduate certificate of sustainability under a fantastic lecturer, Frank Fisher, um, at Swinburne, and really wanted to do that sort of green or social shift. Um, now, at the time, I ended up then deciding to go and work for ANZ Bank for three years, um, which was not really the green or social shift that I had in mind. All a bump in the road on the way to a green and social <laughs> shift. <laughs> Look, it was great at the time. Like, it was great for that period of my career. I ended up uh, managing a very large team there. Um, so picking up, you know, a lot of um, sort of leadership skills and certainly the technology um, aspect of it and the, the complexity of the project I was working on was fantastic. Um, but I knew that my time in the corporate sector was coming to an end at that point. And that then coincided with um, getting married and my husband and I saying, you know, let's just throw out in our jobs, let's go overseas, let's have a bit of fun while we can um, before we start a family and those sorts of things. Um, so we ended up moving to London and I said, right, now's the time, um, which was a bit silly, really, sort of starting in a new sector in a new city uh, with no networks um, to draw from in terms of getting a job. But I ended up working at VSO International for a couple of years while I was there um, in a much more junior role but having a lot of fun doing it, um, really enjoying working for a not-for-profit, um, being able to do more with smaller budgets, um, take a few more risks, um, and really feeling like I was having um, a positive impact with the work that I was doing. Um, so, yeah, when I came back to Australia, I was then really looking at, well, what comes next? And I ended up at our community, which is this perfect intersection of sort of for-profit, for-purpose. Um, and that's where I've been since 2014. That's a really uh, neat and tidy summary for it. I'm sure it's a very interesting journey. Um, tell us a little bit about our community is sort of quite a unique organisation. Yeah, so our um, purpose is to create stronger communities. And we do that by providing reusable tools, templates, resources, um, information and advice for not-for-profits and particularly community groups. Um, so the smaller end of town, um, not the sort of bigger not-for-profits that are, are well-resourced and can afford to go out and, and get consultancies in, for example. Um, and then over the years, as well as providing information, we also started to build some software platforms. So there's a real gap in the market where, um, for example, we found that a lot of funders um, didn't have good software for managing their grants. Um, so we ended up building Smarty Grants to fill that gap. We also have a platform for grant seekers called Funding Centre, which is a big database of all the grants that are available in Australia. And then we also have a um, donations platform as well, givenow.com.au, um, which was really designed to be um, useful for charities to raise funding online. And it was Australia's first. This was, you know, back in very early days of the internet where um, our CEO could see the opportunity to raise funds online, uh, but there weren't any sort of good Australia-based platforms to do that. So that gave rise to Give Now. Um, and we are a little bit, I guess, different um, in that we work with both um, grant makers and grant seekers um, and, well, and not-for-profits more generally, not just those searching for grants. Um, and so we're able to really have a... Um, quite comprehensive view of the sector um, and we see the challenges on both sides and we, we try and sort of pass information back and forth um, from both sides as well. So in a way you're very much the intermediary or the sort of sector expert and you get to service both sides and I, I suppose in many ways see what one side needs the other has and vice versa, mix and match a bit. Yeah, that's right. And we do a lot of sort of surveys to try and draw some of that information out and present it back. 
So we do a lot of playing back of information as well, like doing research or um, doing data crunching and then trying to play that back so that um, not-for-profits can make use of those insights or grant makers can make use of those insights. And so um, in terms of form and like a creation, you're a social enterprise uh, or a business with a, you know, for, for good purpose. Um, but how are you, was that philanthropically set up or tell, tell me a bit about the history of the foundation? Yeah, so um, I wasn't around at the time, but my understanding was that there was um, some initial investors that um, put in the capital really seeing it as a social investment. Um, and that was quite forward thinking at the time. This was 20 years ago. Before sort of social enterprise was really a thing, um, and it was really seen as let's inject some capital um, into a sort of resource hub that can be used again and again and again, rather than trying to you know do it as a, a grant base where a grant might go and fund a project, and then after that project's finished, you know there's not sort of that sustainability after that. Um, so it was really there to um, build it as a resource for the sector. So it's incredible. So there's great capacity building in that and education and sort of transmission of, of knowledge. And, and you're also now in a, a beautiful, big new location where you get to take that digital ecosystem and sort of make it a more physical community, uh, I guess, too. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's been one of the biggest shames of COVID for us this year is that, um, you know, we've, we've done the transition to working from home quite smoothly. We were quite well set up for that. And um, Dennis, our CEO, has really made an effort to look after all of our people um, and make that transition as as smooth as possible. But we do miss the beautiful office. Um, So we moved into our community house in February last year um, and it's a beautiful space. It's down in North Melbourne. Um, It's full of art. um, It's light filled. Um, There's a real energy to it because there's a lot of um, not-for-profit organisations but also um, other organisations that work with not-for-profits, for example, consultancies or other social enterprises. Um, and it's really designed to be that, as you say, a, a hub where people can meet, people can share ideas, um, people can share knowledge, learn from each other, um, and it's just a terrific space. I highly recommend getting down there if you have the chance once we're out of lockdown. It, it is a stunning setup. The art is inspiring. Everything's sort of inspiring in there and light-filled and great people and all that too. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty uh, nice experience. So, I mean, in terms of the specific projects that you have on foot that are, that are quite interesting and capacity building, maybe talk a bit about like data literacy in, in the not-for-profit sector and what you're doing in that space to improve that. Yeah, sure. So um, I'll go back a couple of years. So when I joined our community, I started as the delivery lead for Smarty Grants. Um, so I was working with the software developers building building features into Smarty Grants. Um, and then I went off on maternity leave and Dennis and I agreed that when I came back, I'd take up this head of data role. And to be honest, we didn't really know what it was. It was a come back and we'll figure it out. Um, and it was very much um, intended to be, well, there's this, you know, this is new, new thing, AI, big data. How are we going to make use of that? Um, and so we really started looking at, well, um, let's go and hire a data scientist um, let's start looking at the, the data that's flowing through the systems that we manage. Um, so we hired our first data scientist in 2016 and he started looking at the data flowing through GiveNow. So we created a landmark study on donation behaviour, looking at, for example, um, difference of behaviour of donations across genders or across causes. Um, and that's available um, through the GiveNow website. 
And uh, then we started, you know, doing the same, looking at data flowing through Smarty Grants. So we did a lot of work around sort of the policies, practices and, and ethics around um, starting to mine some of that data. Um, so when I came back into the role, I, I started doing a lot of that work and then um, went off to have baby number two. <laughs> I've been on two bouts of maternity leave in this time. Um, and then when I came back, um, that coincided with us getting some funding from equity trustees um, as part of their sector capacity building fund. And that was really to start saying, well, we've learned a lot about data science by doing the work internally. How do we help the, the social sector capitalise on that as well? So we decided to create a data lab as part of our community house, um, which is a hub where we are thinking about how can we apply data science um, to social sector problems and more particularly um, how do we do it in such a way that helps not-for-profit organisations use their data more effectively. Um, so we're not doing a lot of sort of sectoral analysis ourselves um, in the not-for-profit space. What we're really trying to do is create a lot of reusable tools, resources, how-to guides um, and so on for not-for-profits to make better use of their data and we also run tutorials and events um, to bring people together. Um, so tutorials on the not-for-profit side and events um, to try and tap into the um, community of data scientists and data analysts um, in Melbourne and more broadly who are interested in doing um, some of the work with the not-for-profits. What are your observations around, um, you know, sorry to cut you off, but what are you thinking sort of around when you look at the not-for-profit sector, it must in a way sort of have been a bit of a shock to think, you know, some of the concepts you're talking about, um, data analytics, AI, sort of future-focused stuff, but the not-for-profit yeah. sector is notoriously under-resourced and funded to do this kind of stuff. Was that sort of part of the reason why this is so important or how do you kind of bridge that gap? Yeah, so it's tricky, um, but really, really interesting is what I would say. and. Um, Again, sort of going back to my career journey, I see a lot of potential to be bringing thinking from the corporate sector into the not-for-profit sector. So corporates are using um, sort of, I mean, quote-unquote AI, um, but let's, you know, call it algorithms, machine learning and, and so on um, increasingly. And they can do the investment to bring in the skills that they need and the infrastructure that they need to do that work. Um, and they have big data to work with. So, for example, you know, banks are analysing spending behaviour um, and, you know, probably know more about ourselves than we do in terms of, <laughs> in terms of our behaviour by looking at our spending, for example. Um, and there's concepts that can be taken from the corporate sector and translated into the not-for-profit sector. For example, um, personalisation of services. Um, so, you know, there's a big push in the corporate sector to provide a personal experience. Um, and that's, you know, incredibly important in the not-for-profit sector for how do you personalise services so that people get the services that they need um, at the time that they need it. Um, another good example of crossover is this concept of um, next best action. So if you're going to be supporting a, a, a customer um, or a client, um, what's the next best action you can take to help them? Um, so these are some, you know, um, research that's heavily happening in the corporate sector at the moment that that could be translated into the uh, the social sector. Um, so some of the challenges, as you mentioned, uh, one is that not for profits often work with small data. Um, so you know there was a big question for us about well, can we do meaningful data science 
if we're helping a not-for-profit that has maybe hundreds of clients, not millions of clients. Um, and through the collaboration we did with yourselves, with you know, in task force, um, that was one of our questions going into that was can we do something meaningful with the data set that you have? Um, and I think that collaboration proved that indeed we can. Um, another area that's directly applicable is in fundraising. So bringing some of the digital marketing expertise, again, that's sort of come out of the corporate sector into the social sector can be really, really valuable as well. Um, and I guess the, the main challenges are um, a lack of uh, funding for these types of projects. So most of the not-for-profits and particularly the smaller community groups obviously can't afford to go out and hire a data scientist. Um, so we're looking at ways to um, match to volunteers, for example, because there is a lot of interest from um, data analysts and data scientists to have an impact through the work that they're doing. So there may be ways to do volunteer matching. Um, also a lack of capacity as well. So um, even with organisations that are interested in doing more with their data, um, often they're so resource constrained and so busy um, keeping the lights on for their organisation, it's really hard to oversee these projects. And that's where we really hope that we can help. Um, we actually last week published a new resource called Data Projects from Go to Woe. And that resource is intended to deal with a bit of this stop-start nature of some of these projects that some of the groups are trying to get underway. Um, it's arranged in 15 steps. Um, it's free to use. It's published online. Um, and it's really there for not-for-profits to come in, start thinking about um, the opportunities of applying data science into their um, organisation, um, looking for areas that they may want to start with a project, um, and then takes them through the process of scoping a project, thinking about resourcing that project, delivering that project, and then wrapping it up and communicating the results. Um, and along the way, we're there to provide help and advice. So we have tutorials that are dotted throughout, um, which are optional, um, but really go into the topics in more, more detail. And people can just pick up the phone and call us at any time and tell us where they're at, um, what they're having challenges with, and we might be able to help them along the way. I think um, what the project you did with us at Task Force sort of showed me was that, you know, we've, we really do have these incredibly rich data sets that we're not making the most of so often. And I'm sure it's the case for a lot of not-for-profits out there that you've got mountains of useful data that you're reporting on, but you're not using it in a tangible way to draw insights and learn how to improve services, improve um, social impact and outcomes. So that was a really valuable process we underwent with you and I think just the being able to pull apart those data sets visualize it talk to us about what the findings were um, it would just I think it would just have an incredible effect on on the wider sector and how it operates as a whole in terms of its efficiency if that was something that all not-for-profits had a chance to do at some point yeah and we we think so too I mean going into it that was a question that we wanted to answer is you know, can can these techniques be used and um, and help groups along um, and also what we've found is that the ability to distill questions is really important so the ability to formulate questions that first of all can be answered by data and then second of all if you had answers to those questions you could take action um, that's actually a skill in itself coming up with these questions. And we spend quite a bit of time on that topic in one of our tutorials and also in our step-by-step um, -step guide because that's really helpful in that 
if organisations are trying to answer questions and they don't actually have the data, then potentially there's a project in itself to go and think about how to collect it. Mm. Um, And I think one big challenge that a lot of not-for-profits face is that creating that line of sight between um, the questions that they have and are trying to answer to move the organisation forward and the data that they're collecting, um, trying to create that line of sight so that the data that they're collecting can be rolled up in a meaningful way and analysed in a meaningful way to answer those questions and and drive those decisions. Um, And... When you put it like that, it seems quite common sense, um, but in practice it's very hard to do. And so sometimes it is about sort of eating an elephant one bite at a time and that's why we really sort of push this project approach to sort of trying to identify, well, what piece are you trying to tackle now? Um, how do you get going? How do you get some runs on the board? How do you learn from that? And then cast the net a bit wider and then and then take the next step. I think the proof in the pudding for us is that a lot of um, the findings that were had were so valuable that they're going to go into our annual report, which is our first impact report, which will be coming up in October. So that's incredibly um, exciting and probably testament to the quality of the work that went on there. Um, but it's, you know, I can't help but think to the fact that like a lot of not-for-profits don't even have an IT person. So it's sort of like building from that very foundational level to get literacy and people who can administer that project and then you know to make the business case that really not-for-profits at a board or executive level should be thinking um we have you know first of all what data do we not have that we need to answer big questions what are the what are the questions we need answered and and sort of to go on that journey of what is now the best way to uh to map out that journey to potentially getting some data assistance or um or capacity building or contract out uh some skills yeah yeah um it's interesting some of the not-for-profits i've been involved in myself um it actually has taken me a bit of time to get my head around even just the size of the organization you know who are we serving how many people are we serving Mm. um you know, what are the indicators for success? You know, what 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 are the outcomes we're trying to achieve and what are the indicators to let us know that whether we're achieving those outcomes, for example? So, again, um, it, some of this work can start out quite simple um, and starting to think about what are those, those key metrics um, that you want to collect data against um, and also, you know, making sure it's communicated so that when people are making decisions, they're making decisions based on some kind of evidence um, rather than just intuition. Um, and, yeah, so, like, we see we see a huge potential, but we do find that most organisations um, sort of feel that they should be doing more in this area but may not be sure really how to get started or what support's available. And I think part of the, the beauty of your approach and what you nailed in your, your comments there was the ability to ask the right questions. And I think a lot of the questions that you posed in that pose just before, you know, are things that maybe not-for-profits, if they haven't had, you know, management consultants in or haven't had somebody doing their their kind of deep thinking or assisting in that process, they might not have asked those questions before. How often do you think that's the case? Um. I think it's pretty common, actually, um, and we didn't know really the pathways either. So when we started it, it, it over a year ago, um, sort of early last year, we wanted to go and get some hands-on experience on data projects and um, use that experience to then create these resources. So that's really why we worked with yourselves at Task Force and also we did a project with Berry Street Victoria as well to really get that hands-on experience and learn, learn by doing and see what the realities were. 
So a good example is that we thought it might take quite a bit of time to get agreements in place for us to access some data to do some work with. Actually, we found that that process, I think because of the trust that we had with you at Task Force and our contact at Berry Street, um, that, act, that process was actually quite quick. But what took a lot of time was getting access to the data in a way that we could easily analyse it. And that was a bit of a surprise to us. Mm. So, um, you know, and that, that gives us that key lesson that if we're going to um, help match volunteers to not-for-profits to do some um, data analysis for them, um, you know, there's some pre-steps that need to happen before you bring that person on board to make sure that the data's there for them to do that work. Um, otherwise, they might join, be super excited, and then end up twiddling their thumbs for a couple of months while someone figures out how to get the data to them. Yeah, really well um, said. Yeah. So, um, so these are some of the the practicalities that we're working we're working through. We are trying to very much build the resources around supporting the not for profit. Um, as we get more and more not-for-profits coming through and potentially matching them with data analysts that come in from externally, uh, external resources, then I'm sure we're going to have to put some resources around supporting the volunteer data analysts as well. Um, but we try and make the resources as plain English as possible, as logical as possible. Um, I'm sure there's some of it um, that we haven't got right. And so the more organisations we get working through the process, the more we can improve the resources for, for the next lot of people coming through. And what's uh, your, your challenge by way of COVID? I mean, you talked about the workshops that you're running for, for data and um, the meetups and the, the, the hackathons and whatnot. Are you still managing to run some of that online or have you sort of deferred that till lockdown's over? Yeah, we deferred it a bit because for two reasons. One was that our community very quickly responded to the sector's needs in two ways. So one is we pretty much dropped everything and started pushing out um, resources under what we called the Save Our Sector campaign. So very quickly we put out a pandemic um pandemic response template, for example, that was downloaded thousands of times within a couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, we really tried to respond to the sector that way and it meant that a lot of our other activities um, pretty much just had to wait. Um, also, Dennis joined um, the Charities Crisis Cabinet, um, again, to really respond to what the sector needed and provide advice to government on what the sector needed. Um, so there's a lot of focus there as well. And then for the Innovation Lab, uh, effectively we knew that not-for-profits were in a spin. So there wasn't a lot of capacity for them to be coming along to data tutorials sure. um, between March and sort of about a month ago. Um, and then we noticed about a month ago people started popping up for air. <laughs> it was sort of just before the, the um, might have been more like six to eight weeks ago, but um, losing track of time. In just lockdown. before That's, stage four or something? Yeah, just before stage four, yeah. people started popping their heads up and saying, oh, what are you doing over there in that innovation lab? We're <laughs> doing more with our data. Can you help us? And um, so that sort of gave us a bit of a, a, you know, a kick that, yeah, okay, the people are re-emerging now. Um, we can potentially start bringing back some of our events. So, of course, we'll need to bring those events online. We have just released um, some dates for sort of September, October, November um, tutorials. So certainly we encourage people to, to look at those and, and sign up to those if they're interested. And it'll be a new online format, but very much drawing on the face-to-face -face events that we did last year. 
Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll get people your contact details and the, the links to follow uh, a little bit later. I want to ask you how you're going with COVID and whether you have any survival tips or things that you're doing to make your experience more palatable. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm in a I'm in Carlton North, so it's very nice for walks and takeaway coffees. Um, we have two little kids, so that's been interesting. Um, finding out new ways to keep them interested, but you know we can go out and look for cats, and they're entertained. Um, and look, we were pretty well prepared to for, for the homeworking. I was already working from home routinely a day a week. Um, so really, it's been about making sure that we connect regularly do face-to-face web calls when we can so that we can actually see each other. Um, our, our dentist has been fantastic in supporting all of our staff. Um, twice we've had booze delivered to our door, so that's been quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, just as a bit of a, you know, thank you for staff and to really appreciate that people may be doing it a bit, a bit tough and need a little bit of a, um, you know, sense of connection back to the organisation. So, so that's been good. Awesome. So look, if people want to connect with you and learn more about your work and um, the data stuff that you're doing and all the exciting projects in our community and also when things kick off, how can they do that? Yeah, sure. So uh, start at our website, which is ourcommunity.com.au slash innovation lab. Um, everything's linked from there. We do have resources there for not-for-profits, but also for grant makers. So we do quite a bit of work on internal projects, looking at how do we build smarts into Smarty Grants. Um, And that has been some, you know, quite interesting research opportunities as well. So we're looking at things like um, how do we potentially play back bias in in grants data? So are grant makers funding what they think they're funding? Um, Are they potentially overfunding some areas and underfunding other areas? We've done a lot of work around classification of grants. So we've built an algorithm that can read a grant application and tell you which subject or domain it's um, related to. So is it art, sports and so on? Um, but we have quite a complex um, categorization system for that. And also who benefits from that grant? So is it, you know, targeted at women or targeted um, elderly communities or um, children and youth or, or whatever? Um So we also did a bit of research around can we build automated assessment tools? So can we build a robot that can tell you, yes, fund this grant, no, don't fund this other grant? Um, And that obviously gave rise to a few ethical considerations about whether we should be doing that work. Um, So we've been doing quite a lot of research, you know, using the data that flows through Smarty Grants into building some of these tools. Uh, so there are resources for grant makers on our website as well. And increasingly, we'll have more resources for data scientists as well who are interested in working on social sector issues. So we have a bit in there already, but as we have more organisations coming through and we're, we're doing more matching with um, the data science community, we'll be starting to build out more resources in that space as well. And if people want to connect with you, do you want to give out a, a socials or email or what's best? Yeah, um, that's a good question because I use Twitter a bit. Um, so, but I have a funny name, so I'm a bit sus on Twitter. <laughs> um, that actually harks back to my childhood uh, nickname, which was sus. So, <laughs> online presence is a bit sus. Um, or you can drop me an email at sarahb at ourcommunity.com.au. That's far less mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks so much for joining. Hang around uh, for a little bit and we'll have a quick debrief. Great, thanks. 
If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 